Good to have you here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. We're also streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can uh, see us here on the show on this Friday. So much to get to here from Chris Burnett, former All-SEC offensive lineman from Georgia. Gerald Anderson, former SEC champion defensive tackle, two-time SEC champion there at Georgia out of Ware County High School. He will join us. We'll talk about Georgia and Alabama with him. We'll also talk with Adam Witten, voice of the Appalachian State Mountaineers, the Sun Belt Championship this weekend. It is App State and Louisiana. Of course, Louisiana with Billy Napier heading to Florida uh, coming up as well. We'll also get our picks, surely to go wrong as we get to conference championship weekend and more. But, uh, fellas, we are here. It's Friday Good to be here in conference championships this weekend. Certainly the SEC's got two teams in the top four right now uh, playing against one another. What, as you see it, as we're 24 hours and 56 minutes away from the SEC championship game, what is the most important factor as you see it tomorrow afternoon? Can't wait. Really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to come down to the final couple of drives. For me, when I think about anybody, even Alabama, beating Georgia, you're going to have to do it with a couple of big plays. And I'm, I, I don't mean, you know, a 15-yard out. I mean some home run, highlight reel, chunk plays. Georgia right now has allowed the fewest big plays in college football. And by big plays, I mean plays of 20 yards or more. The fewest in the country with just 24. Uh, the number two team in the nation in that regard is Cincinnati, and they've allowed 33. So as that stat shows you, Georgia has been absolutely elite at preventing big plays. Now, with all due respect to Bryce Young and, and that, that Alabama offense, I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where Alabama has four or five drives where they're moving the football, eight, 10, 12 plays, because nobody's done that. This Georgia defense is a, a, a generational group, maybe the best modern college defense we've ever seen. So I don't think you're going to have a normal Alabama performance where you have 600 yards of total offense, 550, and you're moving up and down the field. I think you're going to have to do it with big plays. You're going to have to take a risk, and you're going to have to convert, hit the home run a couple of times. If you go down swinging, you go down swinging. But I think you're going to have to try to hit the home run, and I think Jamison Williams is the key. John Mechie as well who already has a national championship, Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, he is tied for the Power 5 lead in catches of 30 yards or more. So I think he's the guy to watch. If I'm Bryce Young, I'm getting it to Mechie, I'm getting it to Williams, but I'm doing it deep downfield. I think if you try to beat Georgia with a short to intermediate passing game, that's not going to go well, and I don't even think Alabama is going to be able to run on Georgia. So the question that determines this game for me is will Alabama be able to convert big plays against Georgia? And you think about it. If you can get two or three of them, that may be enough for 14 or 17 or 20 or 21 points, and that may be enough to win. So, Ben, I think if you're Alabama, you've got to get some big plays. If you're Georgia, you can't give them up. If you're Alabama, you got to be able to hold up so you can give Bryce Young a, ch a chance to get the ball down for BJ to make some of those big plays. If you're Alabama's defense, you got to force some turnovers. Go back to go back to 2020 when uh, Stetson Bennett was playing Alabama, played really well in the first half. How do you look the second half? Alabama gonna have to make some big time uh, halftime adjustments. And number three, you're gonna have to you're gonna you're gonna have to, and this is imperative. If you're Alabama, you're gonna have to stay patient. See, when you're going up against a Georgia defense like you've never seen, they don't give up a lot. Every defense has a hole. 
every defense has a weakness. But if you're trying to, if you're trying to throw in, throw, you know, throwing in the, uh, you know, passing lanes that aren't there, pick. If you're trying, if you're trying to do things that aren't there, you're gonna find yourself turning the football over. So if you are Alabama, force force that uh, Georgia that Georgia offense is on turnovers, great second half uh, adjustments, and be patient because and you got to find a way to score every quarter. Three points, seven points. Try to get a pick because the thing about the Georgia team, Kevin, something we talk about, we look up. They won. They won 31 to zero. Yes, because the other team three and out didn't stay on the field. So for me, <clears throat> excuse me, I think when it come to Alabama, be yourself, force some turnover to that uh, Georgia offense, second uh, second half adjustments, find a way to score, and be patient. I know that's a lot, but Georgia's defense, Kevin, I haven't seen a defense. They don't give up anything. They're giving up, what, less than 90 points all season? Less than 90. You know who's number two? I think it's Clemson. Well, they only gave up three to them. So I just think at the end of the day, be patient. Take what the defense gives you if you are the Alabama offense. Force some turnovers, you're the Alabama defense on that Georgia offense. And uh, at the end of the day, if you could do those things, because run the football, BJ, mm, good luck with that. I think they're going to have to find a way to beat them through there. I, I think the, the biggest factor to me is Alabama has, and kind of speaks to what Ben was getting at, you've got to put pressure on Georgia's offense to make a play. When you are on offense and your defense gives up less than a, a touchdown per game, They've not really felt that pressure. I know people will go back and say, oh, Tennessee gave them a game. Well, I mean, kind of, uh, for a little bit. Uh, has Georgia taken those snaps on offense under pressure, need a first down, need a touchdown, need a field goal to finish? I think that's the strategy for Alabama is you've got to get Georgia behind, make them play from behind, and say I – mean, because I think, B.J., in the stat – also, like, Georgia's only been behind, like, a few seconds. Like, um, they were behind to Tennessee early and came right back down and tied it up. So, it was like maybe a couple of minutes uh, they've been behind the entirety of the season. Have them play from behind. How do they respond in a big game from behind? Do they need to go out and put a touchdown on the board? We haven't seen them have to do that. And people say, well, they do it anyway. Yeah. I'm sorry, it, Ben. You know this. Big difference, and we're up 14 to seven, and we go down and put a, a, a touchdown on the board, or we're up 21-3, and it's like, hey, let's go down and get a score. All right. Versus, hey, we're down 21 to 14. We have to get a touchdown. Let's go make a play. I just think they haven't been in that situation, and I think if you're Alabama, how do you win big games like that? You put another team in an uncomfortable spot, and the only uncomfortable spot that Georgia could possibly be in right now is they are down and need to make an offensive play. Right? That's it. I, I, what other position has Georgia not found themselves in uh, this year? Hey, we need to dominate on defense. Well, they've done that every single week. We need to get turnovers. Done that. Did that against Clemson. We're able to, uh, to get a score, even their offense struggle. I, I just don't think we've seen a team, maybe you could say that Clemson game in week one, but we haven't really seen Georgia where it's like, if you do not score right now, the tide of the ball game, and bad analogy, the tenor of the ball game uh, may change. And I don't think we've seen and – and I say that not because I don't think Georgia's going to win. I say that because if I'm, a, if I'm Nick Saban, that's, I'm looking at that as that's the strategy. Put Georgia in an uncomfortable spot, and the only one they haven't been in is playing from behind. So I, I think to me that's, that will be key for Alabama is to get ahead of Georgia and make Georgia play catch-up early and see how that team responds. It also gives your team a little confidence 
uh, there if you're Nick Saban, if you can get a lead early. But I think if you're playing catch-up all day on that Georgia team, you're, you're in a bad way. No, I think you're right. And any game is about who can dictate tempo, right? Even if you want to do similar things, who controls the ebb and flow of the game? And, and, and to your point, as dominant as Georgia's been, if there's a relative downside in that, it's that Georgia has not had many moments, if any. I mean, you can go back to the Clemson game, but Clemson had 180 total yards in that game. Georgia has not been in a contest where they've had to rally where they've had to respond, they've had to answer, and, and, and of, of course they can. This is a, an incredibly talented, composed, well-coached, great football team, but they still haven't been in that spot. And that's why another key I mentioned it a couple of days ago, I think the first couple of drives are going to be really important because right now Georgia's been able to play with the understanding, offensively, defensively, coaching decisions, with the understanding that nobody's doing anything. Maybe we give up a field goal. Maybe, if it gets really weird, we give up a touchdown. Well, what happens if Alabama maybe gets a field goal on their first drive, a touchdown on their second drive, and you're looking around and it's 10 to nothing or it's 10 to 3? That's a different environment. Doesn't mean Georgia won't succeed in that environment, but like you said, Kevin, your, your only goal when you play the number one team in the country is to get them in a spot where they haven't been. Try to get them out of their comfort zone. And I think that's why I go to the big plays. Can you get you know, uh, uh, a receiver open down the seam. Can you get Mechie or Williams the ball in space? They make a, a guy or two miss, they're off to the races. Can you run up? Don't be surprised if Bama tries a trick play or something early. I think you're right. We're all kind of saying the same thing in different ways. You've got to find a way to put the pressure on Georgia. BJ, I, th- I, I mean, you know, it comes down to, BJ, what you do every week. You got to win the box score. What am I talking about? You got to win the time of possession if you're Alabama. Then you got to win the turnover. You got to win the turnover battle if you're Alabama. And this is most important. You got that. You got to win the possession battle. How many possessions did you have? How successful were you with them with possessions? And number four, most importantly, sustained drive. Sometimes just keeping that Georgia defense on the field longer than they used to be on the field is a win. Because you got to. Because the biggest thing Alabama got to do, BJ, is prove to themselves we can move the ball against these guys. Because the same way Alabama gets better, better as the second half, so does Georgia. Because now I know what they want to do. So, time of possession, turnover battle, win the possession, and you got to have sustained drives. That will give you a shot to even have, you know, success in this game. And if Stetson is who Georgia knows he is, they got to go out there and put pressure on him, uh, Kevin, to hopefully throw the football to the other team or turn the football over because Georgia's – I mean, Alabama's going to need – a couple of extra possessions for that offense to uh, potentially try to put some points on the board. Yeah, I, I, and again, I, BJ, I think that is the, the whole way. If Georgia plays the way they have all season, I you talk about a, a, a lot of times we hear this in politics, what's the path to victory? I, 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 the way Alabama has played the last half of the season offensively against the number one defense in the country, if that goes out and maintains the status quo and that doesn't change, Georgia will win the ball game. Now it might be fourteen to three, or fourteen to seven, but Georgia will win because I think Alabama's defense is pretty good. Also, we were kind of seven in the country. We're, we're kind of cutting that short a little bit. So I do think it could be a low-scoring game. But if 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 Alabama doesn't create something that that like turns the flow of the ball game, they're not going to. I don't think they're going to win. That's an odd thing to say about Alabama, but Georgia, this Georgia team is very good. And again, I think the way in a championship game to win. You got to make them uncomfortable, and right now the only way to make them uncomfortable is put them behind, and because we have not seen it at all, but for a few minutes. 
against Tennessee that they've had to play from behind uh, the entirety of the season. So, I, 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 to me, that's that sounds overly simplistic as I'm saying it, but I think that is the, quote, path to victory for, for Alabama. Look, it may not work. I mean, Georgia has great Because Georgia, back. I think, is, it should be a favorite, and they are. I mean, Right. Darion Kendrick's been spectacular. He's been one of the best corners in the country this year. But I think if you're Alabama, you have to be aggressive. If you, if you come out and you're running, again, tight end drags, and uh, I hate to say it because normally I'm a big fan of running the football, but you're trying to establish the run first, I think you're going to have a real problem. You have two of the best receivers in the country, including maybe the best this year in Jamison Williams and John Mechie. You have got to throw the ball downfield. And I know, generally speaking, Ben, there's not a high proficiency rate with balls thrown over 20 yards, but I think that's your that's – your, to quote Kevin, the path to victory that you have to follow. You got you got to outdo them in what they do. Georgia hits hard, you got to hit harder. Georgia runs fast, you got to run faster. Georgia's dominated, you got to be more dominated. Because sometimes we forget Alabama's not used to being the team not being talked about. Hey, man, wait, whoa. We do this too, right, Coach? Yes. Georgia's undefeated this year. We went undefeated and with the last intended last year. We've lost one game by three points in two calendar years. Alabama, BJ and Kevin, something y'all said, <clears throat> if Alabama plays their best and Georgia plays their best, that favors Alabama. You know why? Alabama has a better offense. So we'll see what happens, Kevin, but this is why we talk about the game. The game yeah. will be played. We'll see what yeah, happens. We're going to have a lot of fun waiting and seeing what happens there. We'll talk with a couple former Georgia Bulldogs. Gerald Anderson, former Ware County Gator, two-time SEC champion defensive tackle, will join us in about uh, 20 minutes. When we come back, we'll hear from Chris Burnett, all-SEC offensive lineman there at Georgia. We'll talk about that offense for Georgia and what they need to do here on Saturday. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Uh, that's a great point. Um, I think that we are <clears> – <throat> those guys are probably very confident, but I think they are also very prepared. Um, I think there's a difference between going into a game confident and cocky I believe that Kirby has created a, an environment along with those seniors there where they know you cannot take any matchup for granted, let alone one that is a matchup against a team led by the greatest coach of all time. So I think they're confident. You know, they've come into every single week and they've shown themselves to be an elite team, a team that is um, well-disciplined and, and well-coached and plays well together. Um, and I think they're probably going into this like this is another Saturday. Let's do what we do. Um, and we know we're going to get take some punches, but all year long they've take, taken those punches and thrown out plenty of their own. So it'll be exciting to see. It's definitely a heavyweight bout, and um, it'll be great to see Georgia finish out the season strong within the conference uh, with a, a win over the, the Crimson Tide. At least that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> Chris, Alabama has a defensive player that's getting Heisman Trophy attention, uh, Will Anderson, who has yes. 14 and a half sacks and almost 30 tackles for loss. As an offensive line collectively, even though he's an edge rusher, how do you how do you prepare for a for a player like that? Yeah, no, I, Will Anderson is the type of player that you have to scheme and game plan around, and I think if we were to compare him and his impact and what he brings to the table to a player that we played against. I'd probably have to say someone like a Davion Clowney um, who can just completely wreck and destroy anything that you're doing on the offensive side of the ball. And you have to game plan specifically for him, whether you're an interior lineman, you're the quarterback, um, you're a running back, like you have to kind of scheme accordingly. Um, <clears throat> so one thing that I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us do 
is do four line slides, you know, into, in whatever direction that, that Will is on, um, to have the running backs get involved, the tight ends get involved, whether it be chips, you know, giving the tackles a little bit of extra help. Um, and allow them to get a little bit more comfortable. Um, and to be quite honest, there'll probably be a lot of those kind of quick reads, three-step drop plays uh, that happen um, that usually tries to negate some of the, the quickness and the get-off and the ability to rush the passer that gather that can bring. So the thing I'd be looking forward to or looking to see is, is if we can stay out of those third and long, you know, second and long type of circumstances and situations, I think we'll be able to, to – not, you know, negate or thwart him, but I think we'll hopefully be able to keep him at bay long enough to, to make the plays we need to offensively. Individual battles as well as, like, playing, with, you know, consistently with consistency on the offensive line is something you had to do, Chris, from your time at Georgia. How much is this going to – we talk so much about, you know, the Will Andersons, the Jordan Davis, yeah. all these big-name players, and we come out of this game talking about those five guys in front of Stetson who just took the game over. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right, Ben. Like, it's so crazy how I think when you go into a game, you think about the big names, but everyone knows, at least people who know the game well, know that the game is won in the trenches. It's won and lost in the trenches. So you'd hope that, like you said, those guys go into it as a collective and say, hey, we're going to work together as a squad to, to take on some of those big names and, and do the best we can to reduce the impact that they make. But like you said, it, it really boils down to the the one on one matchups, man. Football is the greatest team sport known to man, in my opinion, because everybody has to do their job in order to be successful. Um, but it's also a compilation of a bunch of one on one mini fights that happen seventy, eighty, ninety times a game, and you have to just be ready for your one on one matchup. So you know wherever they have Will lining up, whether it be on the left or the right side. I'd hope that that tackle is prepared and ready, and I, I feel like they will be. They'll be willing and ready to take on that challenge because, like you said, when those guys in the trenches do their thing, those five come together the way they need to. Um, it, it can win or lose a game for sure. Chris Burnett joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Chris, when you have uh, – Ben talks a lot on this show about complimentary football. When you have a defense that's played like Georgia's had, how, how kind of relaxed are you as an offense uh, where, where you go and say, look – we don't need to rush things. We don't need to force things. We don't need to do certain things because our time will come and our defense is not going to allow much of anything. That's a great point. It, it definitely makes you have a different mindset. I don't know if relax would be the, the best descriptor uh, because I don't sure. think I ever went into a game relaxed, if I'm quite honest with you. But I do think that it gives you a sense of uh, perspective with your decision-making, especially if you're in those kind of heavyweight battles where you know – hey, whoever makes the least amount of mistakes is probably going to be the one to come out on top because you have those evenly matched teams and you have a defense who you know is going to take care of business. So sometimes you have to have a little bit of that healthy fear uh, of like, man, we need to score now in order to give you some of that sense of urgency. But I believe that at this point the defense has shown and proved that if a team, you know, if our offense is able to put up three touchdowns, It'd be hard-pressed to see somebody actually beat us in a game, and it definitely helps with your mindset, I think, to, to not press too hard. So more than anything, it probably doesn't allow anyone to feel relaxed, but it definitely helps them to not overly press when it comes to the decisions they make, um, you know, being on top of their assignments and, and making sure that they can make quick but intentional 
and wise decisions. So it'd be interesting to see. I know Stetson, he's really done that the entire year, um, making really wise decisions regardless of what the circumstances are. And just excited to see those boys kind of bring it to them uh, tomorrow afternoon. I, I really believe that they're going to show up and show out. Chris, what has impressed you most about Stetson Bennett this season? Yeah, honestly, it has just been his poise. Uh, I love the fact that he's a player who can not just make wise decisions and, and throw the ball where it needs to be thrown, but he can use his legs um, pretty well. And he's a, a guy who is kind of sneaky with his uh, elusiveness. Like, I think that he's a, he's a quicker guy, but he's also really slippery uh, when he gets out in the open field and he knows how to use that well. But the thing that's really like, impressed me the most is that his leadership, uh, the intangibles, his willingness to, to make those you know, quick and, and decisive decisions. Because I think if you have a quarterback under center who's able to do those things, regardless of whatever their, you know, the, the arm strength or their personal stature may be, it can go a long way to garnering the rest of the team's trust that you're going to make the right plays at the end of the day. And, you know, I saw it firsthand. You know, Aaron Murray wasn't the biggest in stature when it came to quarterbacks, um, but when it came to this leadership, preparation, uh, ability to make wise decisions, there was nobody I trusted more. And I feel like they probably have a similar respect for Stetson um, from this season and honestly from the previous season as well. Chris, back, back in my time playing, man, my, I use that, the offensive line coaches always say, an offensive lineman is a gentleman with an attitude. He stares people in the eyes and he don't flinch. How much How much when you played, you know, you understood the guy, he's right there in front of me. It's going to be me and him all game. I'm a gentleman, but I don't like that guy in front of me. That's right. No, I, you, I love that. I have never heard that description for an old lineman, a gentleman with an attitude. But I think that's a perfect way to put it. Um, and to be quite honest, I think you have to play with a bit of, uh, controlled rage. Like, that was the way that my dad taught me when I was a young kid starting out in Pop Warner football because I was always a lineman. I was always big. Uh, so I kind of had to develop that type of uh, mindset or skill set very early on. Um, and, and with that, you, you have to go into that like it's a fight, um, not that you're trying to necessarily hurt somebody or, or do something to harm someone uh, long term. But you have to take it personally in certain respects and say, like you said, I am coming in with an attitude that this person lined up in front of me shouldn't even be here, and I have to uh, make some movement in order for us to really be successful. So I love that description, Ben. I'm going to have to keep that one in the lexicon moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Burnett joining us here on uh, 3 It Out. And, and, Chris, finally – Give us your thoughts. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think happens tomorrow? What's that final score look like? Where does Georgia stand when it's all said and done? Yes. Uh, you know, I think tomorrow is going to be a definite slugfest. I know that the, uh, I guess, sports book, the betting table has us uh, favored by about six or seven points or something like that. And I would say we're, we're probably somewhere in that range when the game ends. If I were to give a prediction, I believe that Georgia wins, pulls it out, um, and wins 31-21 to 21 at the end of the day. Uh, it's kind of crazy to even say that because uh, I know that there's been a lot of talk in the state of Georgia about uh, curses uh, <laughs> and how the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia can't necessarily get over the hump in some of those big moments. But 
I think the Braves have served, served and shown as well that that stuff doesn't matter and uh, the better team will come out and win, and I think these are the guys to make it happen. Chris Burnett, our guest here on a 3 and Out. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you both. I appreciate the time as always. Appreciate it. Chris Burnett joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Uh, the night before, the Friday before the SEC Championship game, what were your emotions like? What was your mindset? And how did you kind of maintain the excitement level but also stay calm the night before? Uh, in 2002, it was it was very new for all of us. Uh, it was Coach Rick's first SEC championship game uh, as a head coach, um, his first SEC championship game, period, but definitely as a head coach. Uh, all the players, he hadn't won an SEC champion in 20 years prior to that, or yeah, a little over, right at 20 years. So it was new to everybody in the program, especially at Georgia. And uh, there were a lot of butterflies. We had a theme that year going into the season uh, <clears throat> with the Bible verse, John 3.16. And if you know much about you know the state of Georgia and the route to get from uh, Athens to Atlanta, you had to take Highway 3.16 to get there. So that was our theme all that year. And right there we were uh, headed to Atlanta to, to, play, um, to play Arkansas that year in the – SEC championship game, and, and we had to take Route 316 to get there. So uh, it kind of all came together. It was a fun time. Um, but it was a lot of jitters. I think once we got there and got in the groove of everything, the butterflies kind of got out. And it was, at the end of the day, it was just another game, and that's kind of how we had to approach it. And, Jared, when you think about tomorrow, obviously you're talking about individual matchups. you got a guy like Jordan Davis who they're going to run everything, um, you know, through him on that defense. What's the mindset for a guy like yourself for which, Amy, you got to win your individual matchup, but you got to be ready to make that play to kind of get off the field to give your offense another opportunity? Uh, It's like the old saying is, you know, big-time players make big-time plays and big-time games, and and this is one of the ones. I mean, it's a lot of talk around Jordan Davis. It's a lot of talk around a lot of the guys on on that team, not just on defense, but on offense as well. And now is the time that you you got to make sure that you – uh, number one, you're you're playing assignment football. You're doing the things that you were taught to do. You're you're being the leader that you have made have been made to be. Uh, you make sure you lead the troops. You keep everybody up, even when there is a mistake. You overcome that adversity, um, and that's that's the biggest part of what a champion does. Is they're going to overcome the adversity. They're going to lead by example, and they're going to make sure that you know, along with themselves, but everybody else is is doing their job, and you just keep that focus throughout the game for all four quarters. Gerald Anderson joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Gerald, you look at that defense going up against uh, Alabama. Uh, This is a defense that has shut everybody down uh, all season long. What's that approach? What's that that mental aspect like going up against a team like Alabama who's been good on offense, maybe not as elite as we've seen, but at the end of the day, it is Alabama on the other side. How much of that does it, it play into that? Uh, it plays a, a tremendous factor. I mean, like you said, it is still Alabama. Um, Alabama finds a way to win, even when, you know, the, they're up against the wall. Uh, just speaking of last week, they found a way to win. They found a way to beat Auburn when, you know, when you look at three, four quarters of the game, it didn't look like it was going to go that way. So um, you still know that this is Alabama. They, they are a well-coached football team. Um, they have a long-standing tradition. You know they're going to come out and they're going to give you everything they got. 
you have to, uh, as an opponent to Alabama, you have to be able to execute. Uh, you have to be able to uh, try to play as much mistake-free football as you can and uh, and just go out there and execute, do the things that you have been taught to do, the things that you've just done all season. You cannot lay an egg, as I would say, at this part of the season. This is not the time to do it. This is not the place. And, and if you do it, Alabama will make you pay for it. A lot of playmakers on the field, obviously, but you look at these two defenses, Georgia's front seven, one of the best we've ever seen. Alabama's got a guy coming off the edge who already has 30 tackles for loss. Uh, for all the talk of the quarterbacks and uh, the receivers, et cetera, is this a game that's going to be determined in your mind at the line of scrimmage? Most definitely. Um, I, and being a guy that played on line of scrimmage, uh, every, every game, in my opinion, is one up front. You know, you're only as good as your your, your front guys are, uh, defensively and offensively. So um, it's going to be a great test, a great battle. Um, and I, I would almost guarantee you that the team who has the most success up front, if Georgia has a lot of success on the ground, running the ball, as I think they can do protecting that quarterback um, and, and getting after it on defense, uh, being able to control the run and getting after their quarterback, who, who's pretty dang good. Um, if George can control the game that way, George can be successful. And if not, then they can go the other way around because Alabama's going to couldn't be just as successful doing the same thing that Georgia would need to do. So uh, this def- this is a game that definitely is going to be played up front, and it's going to be won up front. All the battles are are won at, are won up front. Jared, what is this going to mean to Kirby Smart's legacy? Obviously, he's he's done it all, but win the national championship up until this point, but. Georgia wins on Saturday. What is this going to mean for Kirby Smart's legacy and the confidence of this Georgia team moving forward? Uh, I don't think it's going to do anything confidence level-wise. I think this team is very confident, um, win or lose. I think you know it, it's going to be a setback, but uh, I believe this team is very much more confident and, and a lot better position than they have been in the last couple of years. Uh, but for, for Kirby's legacy, um, it, it, it will help put another stamp on his legacy. He's already written a, a great resume, a great legacy for, for what he's done at the University of Georgia in the time he's been there. But definitely to go against Alabama at a time like this, a guy that he's worked up under for so long that he's learned from. And, you know, you hear about the student and the teacher, and this is kind of still that game until he actually, you know, overcomes that battle and I think tomorrow's the day that, that we can actually knock the lid off the program as we can say and, and overcome that hurdle and I think it is, is going to definitely put us at a whole other class when we can do that but like we said you know we've won SEC championships we've won you know we've won in the playoffs we've played now in a national championship game but the ultimate goal is holding up that trophy there in January after we've won a national championship so but in order to get there, we have to take care of business tomorrow. So I, I really believe that it's going to happen, and I really believe it's going to help continue to put that stamp on his legacy there at Georgia. And, Gerald, what, everything you just said is why I, I don't get the narrative. Sometimes we've heard uh, this week of, well, it doesn't matter if Georgia wins on Saturday or not. They're still in the playoff. Everybody knows that. They're in regardless, and they still have the ultimate prize out there to go win a, a national championship. I, I kind of disagree with that. This is a chance to, as you said, knock off Alabama, and they're out. Kick them out of the, uh, the, the, the playoff picture and then move forward and, and worry about your destiny there. I definitely agree with you. Um and it's just taking it one game at a time. But this is a game that, yeah, people do say it. You know, the fact that we went 12-0, and that no matter what happens tomorrow, we're still in the playoffs. But 
I guarantee you that's not the way George is thinking. That's definitely not the way I don't, I don't think the Coach Smart is thinking as well. Um, I know that this game means a lot to him um, for what's all at stake. And I know that it's definitely not a game to say, oh, we could just, you know, whatever happens, happens. I mean, I believe after the game, if we did were to lose the game, they're going to worry about what to do next. But right now in this moment, it's all about we got to beat Bama. And that, that's going to be the, the ultimate goal. And we got to beat Bama for a lot more than just one reason. You're from Waycross, obviously, Gerald. Uh, Stetson Bennett, of course, from right there in Blackshear. What's been your perspective on this incredible story? You know, him originally walking on, leaving, coming back, and now this season has been one of the most proficient quarterbacks in the country and uh, has done that with the top-ranked team in the game. It's been incredible for a guy like Stet. Um, man, and being right there where I grew up, you know, 10 miles away from where he grew up from, and and uh, it's he's had an un- unbelievable story. And, and, you know, watching him even last year when he came in, he played some, he had some struggles there uh, at that position. And just to think the, the adversity that he's overcame, I mean, most people in his position would have already walked away from the game, quit, or done something else. And he stuck right there through it. And he has been blessed to be in the position that he is in right now. And I know – uh, just a guy of that, that, that nature, he's soaking it up. He understands the, what he has to do, and he's going to go out and give it all he has. Uh, you could tell a guy like that, he just, he's just not a football player. He loves what he's doing. He loves the University of Georgia. He loves the state of Georgia. And uh, when you get a guy like that that has that much passion and love, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to go out there and continue to lead and put this team on his back. I mean, and I read an article the other day, man, the kid stands 5'11", and you just don't realize it because he plays so much bigger than that. And, you know, and, and he really does. And, he, and he, it's just more than just, you know, how strong is his arm or how well he can run. It's just the things that he does and what he brings to the game. There's no knock on the guys that's behind him. There's no knock on JT Daniels, but – this kid is just a whole other dynamic to what he's doing right now that is, that's unbelievable, and he continues to just he continues to get better and better week in and week out. And uh, I'm so happy for him. I can't wait to see you know at the end of the season what he has wrote for his legacy here, and um, it's just a proud moment for a kid like this. Georgia and Bama tomorrow, SEC championship game. Gerald Anderson, former Ware County Gator and Georgia Bulldog defensive lineman, two-time SEC champion uh, there as well, joins us here on 3 and Out. Gerald, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here, 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Phil Collins getting us fired up. This is like every pregame anthem ever. Every uh, Friday night before we do football, Christian Gokel starts the Phil Collins. I can feel it. Come. He does. Say that thing. What's your second favorite Phil Collins song? Uh, that- <laughs> <laughs> does Phil Collins? Did he do? Uh, did he do Lady in Red? Is that Phil Collins? Did it? Well, you're, you're, you're I was me. asking you. I was curious. Or is that Paul Simon? I don't know. You're talking about Phil Collins, like Phil Collins? You're talking about Phil Collins when he was with Genesis. Come on. Okay. Well, Kevin's the Don't. musical historian on the show. Okay. Uh, no, no, not, not, not if you got to ride long distance and you got to go on a musical escapade where people try to, I don't know, control the radio. 
BJ violates all driving oh protocol goodness. ever involved. No, I don't drive. I ride. I know. Oh, that, that's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, if you are, that knows unless you, know they, unless, you don't drive. Unless there's a steering wheel in front of you, you do not get control over the musical selection in listen, the car. We, listen, we could be in Texas. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning, and BJ goes, the game's over. Let's drive back. Let's go. I it's got like, some stories to do. It's like parliamentary procedures. It's like unless the time is ceded to you to control the radio, you do not get control of the radio unless the steering wheel is in front of you. And – well, go ahead. This has been a wide-ranging segment. No, I mean, no, no. Parliamentary we, 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 procedures? Yeah, because when I have to drive that late with BJ, it's not driving. It's swerving. Because that's what I'll be doing because I can't make it. But somebody else will like, ask, do you good? Could you clap swerving so I can post this story? I'm like this. Yeah, your car makes internet. It's amazing. Yeah, well, we're about to make an accident because <laughs> it was about to be rough because I was struggling. That's what we we're about to do. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take us down the sideways path. You just you came back, and I was jamming out to. The, I didn't do any of that. I know I was doing. You're like, what? You can't like, can't like Phil Collins. Well, what, you still know? haven't given me a second song yet. Do I have to name the <laughs> entire catalog? To not like one song. I just that asked, Phil Collins. What is your second? Because you came back, we're like, oh, Phil Collins. Phil, I'm sorry. Can we not like you know? Can we not like one song? Somebody does. I don't know the entire Phil Collins catalog. Here on a Friday afternoon. Excuse me. We'll come back. I have to do some research, apparently, to make BJ happy. The entire soundtrack of Phil Collins when we come back at Take 3. It's 3 now on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Radio Network, so much to get to here on this Friday. We'll hear from Adam Witten, voice of Appalachian State Mountaineers. It's the Sun Belt. Conference championship game coming up this weekend. Brian Kelly is back in LSU and back with a new accent. We'll talk about that coming up in just a, a little bit as well. We'll get to the best of Phil Collins. You'll be in my heart. What a great song. You'll be in my heart. That's a great song. That's what I was thinking. Oh, I, oh, I love Phil Collins growing up. I asked BJ in the break. I said, I said, is Phil short for something? BJ goes, Philip? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I mean, I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> it was a guess. I mean, I didn't think it was short for Steven. Said it with a little short sarcasm. For, short for Robert. Philip, Phil Collins. We'll get to that, uh, obviously, way later. Let's take three before we get way out of control here on a Friday, here on 3 and Out. This is a playoff edition take three, by the way, fellas. We're going to run a little scenario game here. Take one. Cincinnati and Oklahoma State. Both win. Alabama wins ahead of them. And everybody else, obviously, we, we know how that plays out. They will assume they win. Georgia would lose uh, in that scenario. Who gets in in that scenario with Cincinnati and Oklahoma State winning? Alabama winning and obviously Georgia losing. But most people think even with a loss, they would still be in. What would you do? I hate this scenario uh, because I think in this scenario, Oklahoma State and Cincinnati would both be deserving. And I think you can make a logical, rational case for both teams being in. And I think the one left out would have a very reasonable argument to say, hey, we got, you know, we got disrespected here. Um, I've gone back and forth. Even in the last two minutes in my head, I've gone back and forth. I, I think, I think that I would lean Oklahoma State. And how do you compare a one-loss team that has a better resume probably week to week to an undefeated team 
that won all their games, of course, but also did everything they could. I mean, you scheduled Notre Dame and you scheduled Indiana. It's not Cincinnati's fault that Indiana was terrible. If you go back to the preseason, Indiana was a top 15 team. Indiana finished, I think they finished last in the Big Ten or or one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. I, I just think, and Kevin, you talked about this. If you're looking at an Oklahoma State resume, and at the beginning of the year, they were not winning convincingly. But if you look at a team that has a win over Oklahoma, a win over Baylor, those are two top ten wins. Top ten. And then you're talking about win on the road and beat Texas when they were in the polls. Beat West Virginia. Uh, you know, beat some decent teams week to week in the in the Big 12 Conference. And that, that, that competition was tougher than what Cincinnati faced. I know there were a couple of teams. It's not Cincinnati's fault either, but Central Florida wasn't quite as good as they've been in recent years. Navy not quite as good as they've been in recent years. And Cincinnati has the, the win over Notre Dame. I just think, and maybe I'll feel differently tomorrow, but I, I just think right now the overall resume, as much as I kind of hate it, would be a little bit better for Oklahoma State. Yeah, and the thing about, <clears throat> thing about Oklahoma State is, BJ, they beat Oklahoma. I mean, they beat Oklahoma, and it's a recency thing, right? Oklahoma is, has, been, has been coming on strong with a lot of momentum. Cincinnati, they've been beating Notre Dame, and nobody really gave them credit for when they beat them because it was surrounded by a lot of other teams having big wins. Oklahoma State is waving the flag right now for the Big 12. When you beat a team like Oklahoma, you're going to get a lot of fanfare. It's going to give you a, it's going to be about as good a resume booster as you're going to get. Now, I'm not saying that Cincinnati doesn't have a great win on over over Notre Dame, but they don't they don't got that national appeal. I think this comes down to more than just who you beat and when you beat them. More than just how many losses or if you're undefeated, it's who you are. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, but unfortunately, they are not Notre Dame. They are Cincinnati. Yeah, I think oh. the question that I struggle with is this. <clears throat> who is in, in this scenario? And I understand you're talking about a one loss versus yep. an undefeated. Yes. But who is Cincinnati's second best win? I think it would be tomorrow yeah. against, against Houston. Who's their third best win? And I hate doing this, but I think that's the minutiae you have to dive into in a, in a situation like this. The help around you is first going to come from not just who you play, <clears throat> but the conference which they play in. Oklahoma is a usual suspect in the college football playoff. Oklahoma State came on strong. Oklahoma State beat them convincingly, and then now they're in the Big 12 championship game. It's going to be Oklahoma State regardless if they do have a loan. Yeah, I, I think if, if that scenario we just laid out happens, Cincinnati will be out, Oklahoma State would be in. And Ben, and you guys know I've long said I don't believe if there's another way like this, this will have to be the mode of last resort for them to put Cincinnati uh, in there. Let's go to scenario number two. Take two. Cincinnati wins a close one. Oklahoma State loses. Is Cincinnati still in, or does Notre Dame, sitting on the sidelines, have a chance to hop over? Yeah, in, in, in that scenario, there's only one team between Cincinnati and Notre Dame in the playoff poll. It's Oklahoma State. So if Oklahoma State's out, some people have theorized, well, how would you compare an undefeated Cincinnati with the head-to-head over Notre Dame and maybe a Notre Dame team with that being the only loss having a better week-to-week resume? I think that I would look at look at the head-to-head as being kind of doubly important, not only because you won, but you won at Notre Dame and you won by multiple scores. So it's not like, you know, there was a crazy fluke ending. You you controlled that game. They were leading by multiple scores for much of that game, and it was in South Bend. And, I'm sorry, Notre Dame, on championship weekend, you watched. On championship weekend, you did not I remember play. that supposedly plays a factor. That right. happened before when somebody sat back and didn't play a championship yeah, game. Yeah, you watched. And, and I have a hard time kind of knowing what to do with Notre Dame because Cincinnati this Saturday has a top 25 game. 
So not only will they have the head-to-head over you in your house by multiple scores, they will have played a ranked team on Saturday while you did nothing. So in that scenario, I feel very comfortable going with going with Cincinnati. I'm going to go with Cincinnati, BJ, because the thing about Notre Dame is <clears throat> they got in they got in before because they, they got beat by, by Clemson, who they beat in the regular season. They're not going to play Cincinnati again. But I will say this, though. Notre Dame got a lot of momentum right now, too, Kevin, with the coach leaving, getting the new coach. And, BJ, you always say this, too. Just because you beat a team, sometimes you could beat a team who was still better than you when you beat them. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's the, the scenario this year, but the exception to the rule is two teams in college football, Alabama and Notre Dame. I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame jumped Cincinnati because they'll say, well, maybe they had a down game, what may have you. But I would put Cincinnati in. I mean, if they beat them head-to-head and they're undefeated, what else can they do? Yeah, and BJ, I'm a big fan of what you do on the field. Uh, so, and, and in this scenario, I'm putting Cincinnati in. That's what I would do. I still think there'd be a lot of internal strife and pressure for them to leapfrog Notre Dame and get them in there. But I feel like uh, Cincinnati would be in in that scenario. All right, moving along. Final scenario, take three here: Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, all lose. Could happen. Could happen. Uh, who's in? Thusly, after Georgia in that scenario. Yeah, that would be what? Two, three, four, and five all losing. I also hate this scenario because it, it, it gives you a set of circumstances where it's impossible to be consistent. Because you're going to have to violate some sort of idea of, well, this team didn't win the conference championship. This team beat this team head-to-head. This team only won you know, by modest margins. There's no good way to do it. I think if that happens, obviously it goes without saying Georgia's number one. As much as I don't like the fact that they watched on championship weekend, and I really don't like that, but I don't know what a better alternative is. I think Notre Dame comes in at two. I mean, for the most part, they've handled their business. Uh, outside of the loss to Cincinnati, they've played better as of late down the stretch. I've, I've made some marks on my paper because I've changed my mind since the show meeting. I think at three, I would go Ohio State. Because if you look at Ohio State's, if you look at Ohio State's losses, they lost to an Oregon team who spent much of the season in the top five. Much of the season in the top five. And they lost to a Michigan team in the top five. So both of their losses were top five losses. And if you want to go back to the, and I don't like this either, but we're talking about splitting hairs, the margin of victory uh, evaluation, they have beaten a lot of teams by a lot of points. And I would lean Ohio State over Alabama. I'll have Alabama four because Alabama will have lost to the number one team in the country, which to me is barely even a loss. I mean, losing to the number one team in the country is kind of a half a loss. But you also look at Alabama and say, in a scenario where we're getting into the details, boy, you did not look good against Florida. You did not look good against Auburn. You did not look good uh, against LSU. You did not look good against Arkansas. And you lost and you lost to a Texas A&M team that is kind of pretty good. I mean, for a while we thought Texas A&M was legit. They're they're good. They're not a great team. They're good. And where I struggle is with Michigan because Michigan beat Ohio State head-to-head, and their loss would be an extra loss that Michigan didn't have to play, or excuse me, that Ohio State didn't have to play. But the reason I would keep Michigan out is a loss to Iowa. Iowa's not a great team. They're a good team, they're, and Michigan got blown out by Michigan State. So I think the margin of victory there. So I don't like this. I don't feel good about it. But I think I would go Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama. I would go with Georgia, Notre Dame, one and two. BJ, I would switch three and four. 
Strictly because something Kevin be saying, we don't want to see the rematch. You don't want to see Georgia Alabama one to Georgia Alabama two. That's not supposed to be a factor. Well, it's not, but it is. Yeah, and you know it is. And the thing is this: if you're gonna get the rematch, you want to get the rematch in the national championship game, not in the semifinal game. So I will go. You know, Georgia one, Notre Dame two, Alabama three, Ohio State four. And the thing about it is, is you know, once again, Cincinnati, man, wow, you talking about losing to Michigan? This comes down to big brand equity. It's come down to who people want to see. This will be the first time that a two-loss, um, you know, a SEC, uh, you know, SEC uh, uh, participant still made the college football playoff. Yeah, Big Ten. Yeah, really Big lost. Ten because of who they are and who they play. So Ohio State, Alabama, because of y'all brand equity, even if y'all Ohio State didn't play and Alabama lost to Georgia, they'll still get in. So, yes, Georgia, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, they're not going to have – they're not going to put Alabama forward when we just seen that matchup, what, Two weeks prior. Yeah, I still think that if this happens, this would be very interesting. Um, and to me, the I'll go with what Ben said. I was uh, at least a start. I think George obviously number one. I think Notre Dame would be two. Alabama would be three, even with a loss, because as Ben said, you don't want to have the rematch. And I know BJ said, well, that's not what they're supposed to do. Well, under a scenario where we can manipulate what we want it to be. We'll make it so that we don't have the rematch, right? I mean, whether it's – and we'll come up with some reasons why Alabama didn't move. I actually think Michigan, because they are two now, would slide back to four and Ohio State would still be out because Michigan would own the head-to-head even with a loss in the Big Ten championship. And obviously, if Cincinnati loses, they're done. If Oklahoma State loses, they're done. So, uh, I, I think that would be my four if everybody, except for Georgia, uh, that's up there loses this weekend and – I think Michigan would be the the one. Notre Dame would go up. Alabama would stay where they're at just to avoid the rematch. And Michigan would slide down to number four and play Georgia in the first round. If all of that comes to fruition. We'll get to our picks coming up later in the show. Uh, Sure to go wrong and see what we think about uh, those likely scenarios uh, out there as well. We'll come back. We'll talk Sunbelt Conference Championship, a big one there. Billy Napier's last game at Louisiana before he officially goes full-time to Florida. Adam Witten, voice of the App State Mountaineers, will join us. App State, boy, they they, they have it over Louisiana. They've won the Sunbelt Championship. He'll join us when we come back here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Again, this is uh, obviously a, a, a repeat. We've seen this a couple of times already with App State and Louisiana. Uh, of course, Billy Napier been in the news going to Florida. Does that just right off the hand, uh, he is coaching for Louisiana in this game, but does that have any effect, do you think, on the outcome of the game on Saturday? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's a good question, and, and certainly I, it's something that people are thinking about, but I don't think it's going to be a distraction. And, and the reason I say that is, this team is trying to accomplish something that it's never done before. It's, it's trying to win its very first outright conference title in this championship game. For as much winning as they've done under Billy Napier, this is still the thing that they've yet to achieve, which is beat App State in this championship game scenario. So while players and coaches on Billy's staff may be thinking, well, what's next after this game is over? I think they realize that they can start thinking about that on Sunday. And so right now, my guess is they're, they're preparing is the same way that they would if Billy Napier was planning on staying in Louisiana next year. So certainly it'll affect their bowl game. Um, it, it's a good question leading into their bowl game. But for this one, I, I don't really anticipate much, much happening in terms of distractions. If anything else, 
because of the way that they have supported Billy Napier in this move, they may be more motivated to win it just to be able to, to help him achieve that before he heads to Gainesville. Adam, App State enters this game on a nice winning streak. What's the confidence level like around the Mountaineers? Uh, they're super confident. You know, they, they're playing great football, and they still feel like, I think what makes them the most confident guys is that they don't feel like they've been able to put it all together just yet. They have had really dominant stretches of games, whether it's one quarter, two quarters, three quarters, but they have not all year been able to play a complete four-quarter game. And so they realize there's still room to be even better. Now, they'll probably have to be able to put it all together in this game against Louisiana because this is going to be their toughest test. But I think their confidence comes from the fact that they're winning games comfortably. They're winning games in a lot of different ways, whether it's special teams or defense or offense. They are capable of making big-time plays and really impacting it in all three phases. But they know that there's still room for them to be even better. So I think that's encouraging and it makes them confident that they can take it to a level that's going to be needed to win this game. Adam, obviously this is the rematch. Louisiana had their way with uh, App State the first time around. How much more does it make this, make this game go up even higher when you got a team that's familiar with each other with one team, you know, trying to get back, even though it is a championship game? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think each team has a lot to prove in this game, and you can't always say that in a championship game where it's usually one team feels like they're being disrespected and motivated more than the other. For Louisiana, they've got to prove that they can beat App State in this type of game in a championship setting, whereas App State, even though they're the team that's won all the conference championship games, they feel like they've got something to prove just based on what happened in October when they lost by four touchdowns. So I think on both sides, each team feels like, yeah, nobody believes that we can win this game. For App, it's because of the way they were dominated in the game in October. For Louisiana, it's because they've never won a championship game against App State. So I think because of that, you've got a really unique scenario where both teams kind of look at this as a prove-it type of game. Adam Witten, voice of the Appalachian State Mountaineers, joining us. And, uh, and Adam, speak to uh, App State and the way they're playing down the uh, the stretch. Obviously, Chase Price has uh, transferred in, had a tremendous year for for App State. Uh, just where is this team offensively where it seemed like after that loss to Louisiana, they really took off uh, from an offensive standpoint? Yeah, you know, I think for as, for as, as great as the team has played in this six-game winning streak, I think the offense is something that they really feel like needs to wake up a little bit. Um, it's been it's been inconsistent. The numbers haven't really been there. And, you know, in, in the game against Georgia Southern last, last Saturday, the offense did not run the ball well. They, they Georgia Southern had a plan where they were going to put nine in the box and put more people than they could block. And they said, you're going to have to hit us with the deep shots and man coverage. Uh, to be able to move the football. And App was able to do that fairly consistently. They did hit on two big plays for touchdowns, but the defense and the special teams were really what lifted them um, in that one. So, you know, I think offensively they've got to find a way to be able to run the ball. And part of that is being able to kind of set up, use the pass to set up the run. App's usually been that way in reverse and use the run to set up the pass. But because of the way teams are really stacked the box and load up to try to stop the run against App, They've got to be able to throw the ball downfield and mix it up with the way that they get rid of the ball out of Chase's hands to be able to get that Louisiana defense to back off a little bit and open up some running lanes. So for as well as the team has played in this winning streak, I do still feel like there are some things that need to improve on the offensive side of the ball, and it really starts with figuring out some ways to move the ball on the ground because that has not been something that they've done at the level they're used to.
App State, since moving up to the FBS level, has been one of the most consistent uh, winning programs in the country. For all the storylines around the Sun Belt, you know, what Coastal Carolina's done and Louisiana and kind of the national showcase games you've had, uh, would it be a statement from Appalachian State if, with all the other storylines, all the other teams that have had success, you're talking about Appalachian State as the league champions once again? Yeah, it's a good point because I think this is a statement opportunity for the Mountaineers because from the beginning of this year, they've kind of been thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute, like, we're the team that's been doing all the winning. We're the team that's won the titles. Um, why all of a sudden are people trying to give that throne to, to other programs? And Coastal had an amazing year last year, and Louisiana has, has won so many games, and those two were ranked in the preseason top 25, and Louisiana is, is, is you know, has won more games than, than App over the last couple of years. But you know, Coastal Carolina kind of took a step back this year, and, and it's really tough to do this thing consistently. And so App's got a chance to come out game and say, yeah, you know, everyone was in love with Coastal, and everyone thinks that Louisiana's, you know, ready to, to take the claim of, of the best team in this conference, and they're the one that's in the top 25 this week in the playoff ranking. So App's got a chance to say, well, wait a minute, we, we didn't go anywhere. We had a down year where we won nine games in a COVID year, but here we are back on top, just like it, just like it used to be. So, yeah, I think that's certainly one of the narratives to, to pay attention to inside that locker room. And, and Adam, even, even sticking with that, I mean, every conference has a headliner. You're going to have, you know, hopefully real good teams throughout. You talk about Coastal, uh, what they was able to do last year, what Louisiana's doing this year. But when I think of the Sun Belt, take nothing away from every other team, the first team that jumps out at me is App. Have they gotten used to being the headliners? And sometimes you get a little headliner fatigue always being the hunted. Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly embrace that. Um, and it's something that they know that they, they have to, they kind of have to take with them wherever they go. You know, that is the culture that is established from the first day that, that players step on campus. They know that the expectation and the goal every year is to win a conference championship. And so they've been to enough games on the road and in different scenarios where they know they're always going to get the team's best shot. They know they're always going to see something different. You know, the, the thing that I always like watching for at the beginning of these games is what are teams going to do that's different than what they've shown the last few weeks? Because they've got to try to do something to, to try to get App off balance and, and get out their early start. Uh, but then App usually able to adjust to it and, and win, you know, the last three quarters of the last half of the ball game. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly something they're used to. They have 14 super seniors on the team, 28 guys who are technically seniors on the team. So, They've got tons of experience across this roster from guys that played in both the 2018 and 2019 championship games. And so, yeah, that, that is an important factor in this game, guys, that App has lots of people that have played in these types of games. They, both, they all played in this game in 2018 and 19 against Louisiana. So they know what, what's at stake here. They know what's coming up. They know what it takes to win a game like this. And so if they end up not winning this game, it's not going to be because they weren't ready for the moment. Adam, finally wanted to ask you about a uh, playmaker from uh, down here in coastal Georgia, Trey Cobb, uh, I believe earned some all Sun Belt honors. What type of season has he had for the Mountaineers, and uh, how important is he going to be this weekend? Oh, he's, he's a tremendous player. Trey is, Trey's been kind of a playmaker in terms of someone who's helped to, to force some big turnovers and make big plays in the game. Um, you know, he, he gets overshadowed a little bit because of the inside linebacker, he's, he's playing next to the defensive player of the year in the conference in DeMarco Jackson. But Trey's Trey just as valuable. In fact, you know, in, in his last four games, he's come up with 
three interceptions, one returned 100 yards for a touchdown. He's had a couple fumble recoveries. So Trey has been the guy who has really been able to, while his tackle numbers aren't always as high, he's always got his nose around the football. And he's recovering balls, he's forcing fumbles, he's getting interceptions. And so Trey is, is super valuable in his versatility to be able to not only make tackles and, and potentially be effective on the blitz up the middle, but be able to drop back in coverage and has good enough hands to make a good play on the ball. So Trey is, Trey's an incredibly important part of this defense. He got second-team all-conference recognition uh, just a, a day ago. So, yeah, he, he's going to be a huge factor in this game as well. And it's App State and Louisiana coming up on Saturday for the Sun Belt Championship. Adam Witten, voice of Appalachia State, joining us here on 3 and Out. Adam, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, guys, appreciate it. Enjoy the game. Will do. Adam Witten joining us here on 3 and Out as, again, the Sun Belt Championship uh, tomorrow afternoon, I believe, kicks off at the same time as the SEC uh, Championship game there as well. We've got more to come. It's 3 and Out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you here on 3 and Out on this Friday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Got a nice little uh, informal poll there on our Twitter page, at Pigskin Radio. Who has the worst fake Southern accent? This is a re- reaction to Brian Kelly. A man, as BJ told me before the show, is from, like, the upper part of the country, right? Was he born in, like, New New England area? Has been at – where all has he been? Central Michigan? Yeah, yeah, right, Central right, Michigan. Right, yeah. He's been uh, – he, Cincinnati. He has not spent a lot of time where the summers are really, really hot. He goes to LSU and apparently – Within 24 hours, has developed a new accent. This is him last night at the LSU basketball game. Play it, Cam. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is a great way to get started. And I haven't even won all my games yet. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans and to be part of what is going to be an incredible ride here at Louisiana State University. Family. He came to LSU with his family. And yeah. he's, he's like, come on. Fake. Come on. <clears throat> so that, that led us to believe, you know, I, I wanted to throw that out there. What are the worst fake accents you have ever seen? What are some of the ones that you've seen, like movies, TV, you're like, that, that is the worst southern accent probably ever. I think the one that stands out for me, and we, we, we were all looking at lists online, is Nick Cage and Con Air. <laughs> Is like really tough Put to deal with. Put the bunny with. in the box. Yeah, it's just like really <laughs> tough. And and you understand that you're trying to kind of over promote a, a, a personality or whatever you're trying to do. But that one it was bad. And, and 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 to be fair, Con Air is not like a work of art. It's not like one of the great <laughs> moments of theater, like in the history of American film. Like it's not. You don't think about that as being kind you of. You knew a, that when Nicolas Cage was a star. You well, knew it wasn't going right, to be like. But but like okay, but like Nick Cage in uh, National Treasure, like that's a pretty good movie. That that that's fun. That's enjoyable. There's nothing kind of over the top. Nick Cage in Con Air, and wasn't he like from Georgia? Yeah, he's not movie? trying to play a hillbilly. You know, it's, on a prison transport. It, it is it is rough. Like it is cringeworthy. <laughs> that that's got to be number one for me. Oh man, I mean. 
Alec Baldwin and goes to Mississippi. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, Keanu Reeves and Devil's Advocate. But for me, <clears throat> Terrence Howard and Hustle and Flow. I mean, oh I, yeah, that is true. Because because the thing about Terrence Howard is, hey man, I'm trying to do this. Man. <laughs> what? And like, I'm, I mean, it's like, it's, I, mean, I mean, Anthony Anderson was, and listen, Anthony Anderson was actually trying to coach him while he's on the freaking thing when he was like, hey, man, you messing up my flow, man. Uh, no, you messing up this accent. But I will say this. For, for people, this is the thing about Southern accents that people got to understand. It's like, it's not one size fits all. Like, a Southern accent in Louisiana doesn't sound like a Southern accent in Mississippi. Doesn't sound like a Southern accent in Georgia. And people was thinking, oh, man, why are they back? Because it might be the hardest thing to do. But people, hey, let me just go down here with these Southern. No. What part of the South are you from? So, yes, for me, it's love you, Terrence Howard. That is true. Has some great movies. But all that, hey, man, every other one, hey, I'm trying. No, man, don't do it anymore. Great movie. But, I mean, it probably took a lot longer to do that movie like Terrence. What? I'm trying to give you all I got, man. Do you? Have you not seen that movie? Uh, oh my god, Cam, have you seen that? Hustle that, that accent. Go oh, Yeah, go watch it, man. What Ben is doing is so funny because he's like, come on, man. I, mean, I can't that, do that, it. That, that, You're that, doing it way better I mean, than me. He he's like, hey man, we over here trying to make this uh, no, CD. If you're man. talking about if you're talking about yes. one liners. Because, because because they 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 in Memphis, right? They in Memphis, and he's trying to look. The thing about a southern accent, you can't overstress it. It's, hey man, listen, <laughs> we over here, and we trying to do this demo take. No, we gonna listen, need y'all. If you're talking really, about one-liners, you know. the worst one-liner in fake southern accent history is James Vanderbeek in in, in Varsity Blues. Yeah, I, I don't want your life. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. The one that always drives me crazy, and and I don't know why it does, but if if you watch Bagger Vance, The Legend of Bagger Vance, like Charlie Theron's is. It's awful. It's like so. She, she, it's over, like so she's overdone. Over, she, she's over. She's overstressed. It. I mean, she's over. And the thing, once again, Matt Damon. He's trying to reel her back, saying, "Look, Southern accents, right? We're gonna say words that aren't words. I get it, but we don't. We. It's, it's not drawn out. It's like, am I know, supposed to just sit here like a buttered muffin? And it's like, come on. Exactly. I mean, that's I what mean, she's. And, and, awful. And, and, listen, if you really want to show us you can act, do them Southern accents. They're not. What, Mr. Randolph Jr. from right here in Savannah, right. Georgia. It's, it's awful. It's I mean, the worst. The, now, the little kid, he had it He, he, he had it down I haven't packed. seen that either. Oh, right. listen, the legend of the back. And this, and, hold on, hold on. And this, and this thing. How have you not oh, seen that movie? Hold on. It's been thing, working. Hold on, hold on. And this thing. Will Smith, he didn't do too much. Kept it simple. He'll, like, he'll, he'll, say, he'll, he'll say, you know, he'll say, Bag of Vans is the name. He'll be like, a 15, 15 is guaranteed. He kept it <laughs> simple. Not all this, hey, man. <laughs> I want to play some golf, man. It's I, I love. I, listen, I love Terrence Howard, but I'm like, dude, I'm, I would have been like, cut, Terrence. What's wrong with you? Trying to cut this tape, trying to get up in here, trying to make a little money for the rent. Can't do nothing. How about we get? How about we get that? How about how about that mic become this mic? It was bad. It was it was bad. The acting, the 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 the, 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 the writing was good, but when they said action, it was like they were like, dude, we got him cast. We gave him the check. He got to do it. BJ, oh. you gonna have to watch Hustle and Flow. Good movie, man. But Ding. I'm just telling you. Listen, <laughs> Howard, Howard, great Lu actor. Ludacris in the movie. Luda. Yes. Luda. Luda. You. I'm trying to think yeah. of something you ain't never seen. I mean, Terrence Howard. What? What is something? Have he said ever, Terrence Howard was in Four Brothers. He was the. Uh, he, he was the. Cop, the right. He was the cop. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, okay, Ter Terrence Howard might be talking about 
they might type, like typecast him. He don't have like range. You ain't gonna say whoa. But if every other word he, is like most of his movies, he plays a bad guy. Exactly. Like with that, he was like, I don't like bad cops. But at least he was himself in Four Brothers. With that, it was all right and action. Every time I get out this car, man, I can't do it. He did it every. He like, hey man, I just wanna. It, it was it was bad. Because he was in Memphis. It was supposed to be. If you were from Memphis, you thinking what? This this thing, this was used to get a person from that city, and typecast him in the movie and give him a shot. Because because Terrence Howard, that ain't what he do. Love Terrence Howard, but that ain't it, ladies and gentlemen. That ain't going to get it. We were talking about this one, too, and I understand. I guess it's so quotable that it stays with you. I understand that it's supposed to be over the top. I get it. But we were talking about the water boy. I mean, there are just, with, with Adam Sandler, there are just so many. I, I get that's kind of the point. Yeah, that's that's uh, very sticky. I mean, I, I, hold on. That Louisiana, right? I mean, they, right, they, yeah. I mean, Mud look, dogs. look I, I will say this. Listen, if you're not Southern, and don't, obviously, don't do I, it. and obviously, y'all think we have a certain. I'm gonna say this: a person who's lived up north, <clears throat> we think the way y'all talk is weird too. Y'all think why you sound like that? Well, I mean, we say things like it ain't you all, it is y'all. We fin to you don't got to <laughs> like it, but we use words that are words. Like a brick in the south is an object that people use to either throw at you or they build houses with it. Up north, it means that it's cold outside. It's brick. Or, you know, if you use the word mad in the South, that means you're angry. If you use the word mad up North, that means a lot of things. There's mad people outside. What do you mean? I ain't seen nobody angry. Oh, it's a lot of people. So it's, it's a lot of, but that Southern twang, I love it. BJ, I've been told I sound like I'm from a lot of places. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, I understand that we, we talk slower from time to time, but it's just so mm-hmm. exaggerated. You just try to add extra no, no, no. vowels I, I will and, say and this. everything else. It depends it. on who you're around. <clears throat> if I'm around my family. You probably it's probably hard for you to understand what I'm saying now, but I'll use words that ain't words. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Get your. That's just how we talk. But if you have if you have lived in the South, you don't need no interpreter. But uh, but old but old Brian Kelly, try to get my family. The bet yeah, my family. My family. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I should have came out to fit in. Man. I should have came out there and said, Brian Kelly, man, what you doing out here, man? Brian My family is <laughs> We're excited to be here at Louisiana State University. <laughs> and then it he, was it was it was rough. He, I don't know. Somewhere his publicist is going, say family right. Oh my god, he blew it. He, he <laughs> laughs, I got it right, right. You didn't. You and your yeah. pleats. Just you just, just killed me. Just talking. Yeah. Say it normal. Your family. It's fine. Your family. My we family. Got, we got more to come here on the show. <laughs> Three and out on this Friday, Kevin BJ and Ben, some college football news. Uh, out there, uh, obviously, uh, we reported earlier this week, Sean Quinn uh, resigned there at Savannah State University as the head football coach. Today, uh, Savannah State announced that Russell DeMossi uh, has been promoted to the interim head coach there. So someone we've known around Savannah State for a while, and he's going to be uh, in the interim role until they name a replacement. Could be him, could be, who knows, depending on what the university decides to do, but he was named the uh, interim head coach today by Savannah State. Yeah, great coach. Will do a great job in that role. Will do a great job as full-time head coach of the Tigers and uh, knows football, passionate about football, played quarterback, of course, at, at, at Georgia Southern and a Savannah native, I believe, went to Savannah, Savannah Christian. Christian. Yeah, so uh, really excited to see what, what Coach Damasi can do. You have recruiting going on. I believe Coach Damasi is the director of recruiting at Savannah State, so a lot going on, but very happy for him to have that opportunity. Let, let, let's just call it what it is. Savannah State is a special place. You want people that, that 
that love the university, that love those kids, that spent all the, you know, spent a lot of time in that community. I think uh, Coach Demise, he checks off all those boxes. Obviously, uh, OPO, the athlete, already got to go decide who's going to be the head coach. We hope that Coach Demise does become the head coach, but it's a special place. And, you know, you want a guy that understands X and O's, but also cares about and resonates with those student athletes, with those young men, I think Coach Demise, and not just him, but everybody on that staff. Right, does yes. that so you hope that uh, those guys get a chance to go from interim or they might get to go from interim to head coach but we will see but at least for one game Kevin uh, Christian right now I mean Ke Ke Kevin and BJ I'm sorry I'm sorry man I think at the end of the day you know you want to see people get their opportunities man and uh, I, w I wish you nothing but the best for Coach Demise Absolutely. And again, you're still in the, uh, the the realm of coaching changes. And I believe uh, Clay Helton uh, is looking for coordinators. Uh, some some news of coaching announcements out there for, for Clay Helton. Some, I think, has a tight ends coach apparently in the works. And uh, we'll see a, an official announcement from the school uh, upcoming about that. But he's looking for offensive and defensive coordinator. Georgia Tech looking for offensive uh, and defensive coordinator. Uh, Savannah State looking for uh, a head coach. So you got a lot of positions open right here. Uh, in the state of Georgia, and oh, by the way, Georgia fans, you don't want to rain on the championship week and parade, but a lot of stories about uh, Coach Munkin and Coach Lanning being looked at as possible head coaching candidates, but when you're the only undefeated team in college football and you're putting up record numbers. Whoa, 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 Cincinnati. When you're the only undefeated major college, college football team, <laughs> major college football team there, your coordinators are going to obviously be looked at for other gigs as well. Yeah, and it's amazing. We've seen so many hires, and we feel like we've been through kind of multiple seasons of, of hirings here, but you have two openings in the ACC. I mean, Duke is, is open. Virginia, as we found out yesterday, going to be open. You're thinking about uh, Miami needs a new offensive coordinator. I think there were multiple media reports earlier today that apparently the Hurricanes are going to try to go after Mario Cristobal, the head coach at Oregon. We'll see how, how that goes. While they, I guess, still have a head coach. In 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 Manny uh, Diaz, yeah, so uh -huh. yeah, so I, I I think we're in for a busy couple of weeks. I would guess Ben coaches not only want to be in place, but want to have their staffs. Think about Clay Helton or whoever. You want to have your staff in place as soon as possible, even if you're not looking at trying to sign most of your recruiting class in the early signing period. I mean, the regular signing period's two months away. I mean, so so you want to get get. Get on recruiting as, as, as fast as you can. Have a staff out and working as soon as you can. So I think we're going to see a lot of hires in the next couple of days. The lifeblood of <clears throat> every, every program is recruiting. BJ and Kevin, I think we just witnessed the most exciting thing about any program is who's going to be your head coach. Either you got a guy that's got you in the right direction or there's a guy out there. I mean, LSU is meant to take your coach with potentially $15 million uh, a year for Brian Kelly. You look at what Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, BJ and Kevin meant for USC. But now – you mentioned Duke. You mentioned Virginia. Think about Manny Diaz looking at Twitter saying, what you mean Miami's looking for a head coach? I'm the head coach. They're like, no, you, you, you were. Because if they can get Crystal Ball, you know he's going to be there. But that's why we watch State of Georgia, offensive, defensive coordinators galore, Coach Munkin, Coach Landon. You're going to be a lot of guys get a chance to get opportunities. But once again, I hope Coach Demise goes from interim to head coach for the Savannah State Tigers. And we will uh, we'll see where they decide to go uh, with that, uh, that route as well. But, uh, again, Championship weekend. We got our picks coming up in the next segment. Sure great, to go wrong. Great. Well, I mean, nothing to be worried about now. I mean, there's only so much ground to be made up at this point. You had all season, and I'd had all season to track down Cody. And of course, we find out, you know, 13 weeks in that Ben never actually officially submitted any picks. Christian just 
gave him the favorite yeah, every week. And, and that, 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 that and, you were basically giving the chalk favorites every week. Well, not every week. I did start off like giving picks, and when that didn't work, I just went chalk. So it was just a new strategy. It was just a simple request. Write down your picks it's about that you give chalk, on the show. Man. Go chalk, man. You'll find yourself in second place right now. Because I did it for the family. My fam, my fam. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> all the going, going, going viral, going viral. In 24 hours, you develop the southern Me accent. and my family. What? Yeah, that's what happens when you give me a hundred million. Yeah, I, I start what, talking about my I mean, family. You know the contract. All right, you got to do this. Got to develop a southern yeah. accent. Gotta. Page 37, paragraph C, subsection Q. Develop a southern accent. Mention how much you love your family. 13 minus 50. <laughs> 47. <laughs> we got so much more to get to here on the show. We'll give our picks. Sure to go wrong when we come back. Obviously talking Georgia and Alabama SEC championship game uh, coming up this weekend uh, there in Atlanta. And certainly uh, we'll see how that plays out in Obviously, Monday, we're going to have a lot to talk about, no matter how it goes, with the SEC championship, the Big Ten, uh, the Big 12, the... What what about tonight? And tonight, the Pac-12 championship. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to all of that. We'll get our picks. Sure to go wrong uh, when we come back. This is 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. 